You're listening to Tech Nest, the PropTech Podcast. In each episode, you'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. Discover market opportunities, interesting data, growth tactics, and trends driving the industry forward. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to Tech Nest, the PropTech podcast. I am your host, Nate Smoyer. Uh, let me, uh, looks like my audio was a little off there. Hopefully that wasn't too bad. Uh, this week is going to be a little bit different. Scheduling conflicts. I think it's the uh, conference season, tail end of reality that it is really, truly no longer summer. In fact, uh, we have our first winter storm warning here in South Dakota. I'm particularly excited, although I'm, I'm, a, I'm not really a betting man, but I'm betting we're not going to get any. I'm not going to get any snow. I'm not going to see it. It's going to be in the hills. So maybe I'll have to go for a drive on Thursday or Friday to go see some snow. Anyway, hey, I wanted to do a topic, uh, more of a topical discussion here, kind of start off throwing some things out there, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, I don't do many of these monologue episodes, not really my jam, but hey, that's what the schedule calls for. The show must go on, and I want to talk about vacation rentals, the short-term rental market a little bit, uh, some of the movement, some of the... uh, themes that I'm picking up on. And of course, highlight a few episodes uh, from TechNest where you can go and learn more about companies that are operating in the space as well as some other resources here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to try and share the screen here. For those purely listening in, obviously you're not going to see anything, um, but I'm hoping, to, uh, hoping that this uh, screen recording will work out pretty good here so that uh, when I post the video, People will have the video and they can reference back to the video here of what I'm sharing. Um, I'll also include links to everything I'm citing and talking about uh, today. So if you want all the links and notes, head over to technest.io and you should be able to then pick up all the links to everything I'm talking about here. Let's see here. Uh, Riverside is giving me some technical difficulties because it can't share the screen. Let's try this again. We're going to try and share the window. There we go. Okay, the first thing I wanted to talk about is some of the difficulties happening in the short-term rentals market. It's no secret cities across the country have been adding more rules and restrictions as to how you can manage short-term rental properties. Um, This is nothing new. It's been happening for some time. Uh, There's many arguments for both sides as to whether or not this is a good thing, not a good thing, et cetera. It doesn't matter. Really, in this case, what I want to talk about is New York City's new laws. Because uh, these are uh, going to be challenging, uh, specifically. So there's there's really three big uh, bullet points I want to share with you coming from. And I'm sharing an article from the Washington Post talking about New York City's new Airbnb rules and what it means for travelers. And right at the top here, Local Law 18 is what it's referred to as. Uh, they have a good summarization. And I have looked into the actual law, and I do believe that these are accurate. First one being, there's no more than two paying guests can stay in a short-term rental at a single time. So if it sleeps three, it doesn't matter. You can only have two paying guests, no matter the size of the dwelling or the number of bedrooms. So this 
definitely is an, an attempt to remove like parties or you know, group gatherings. It's a bummer because, in my opinion, uh, the um, you know the, the larger like when you share with friends kind of thing like that's the benefit. Now I don't know what they're saying here of like two paying guests. Like if it's all under one guests bill, but there's like three of you coming, does that count? I'm not entirely sure. I think it means like two separate non-related guests, but um, that someone else who has better clarity into the law and how to understand legal, uh, you know, legal language might be better to uh, break that down. Hosts must be physically present while their properties are being rented. Well, this totally rules out Verbo. Verbo's whole differentiation they've been running on is the idea that it's a home to yourself. Like it's not weird with the with the hosts staying there with you. Well, unfortunately, hosts must be present. And the third one is the one that got me. This is the one that I'm actually genuinely uncomfortable with, both as a guest and a host, which is hosts and visitors must leave the doors inside the dwelling unlocked so occupants can access the entire unit. So I looked into this and in 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 the in the local law 18, it, it discusses the idea of like a common area. Right, you must be common. There must maintain a common area and like access to throughout. And if there's anything that is locked, that would be considered not common. Right, you must be common. There must maintain a common area and like access to throughout. And if there's anything that is locked, that would be considered not common. And they, of course, it's written in legalese. But the the point here is like. This means you can't like. What about your your personal laptop in your in your in your room? Like when I'm a guest somewhere, I definitely like I try to. I have, and I have stayed in people's houses where I get the room, but I I want a place that I can lock because I'm leaving my stuff there. So as a guest, I, I'm very uncomfortable about that. Um, I would really prefer not to stay at a place where the host is also present. So this is going to be really challenging to see what happens. Um, I don't think it's going to change much about New York City for what it's worth. But it's going to be interesting to see what this does for people's uh, appetite for vacation rentals, especially in cities that tend to follow a same pattern as New York City when it comes to uh, legislating housing rules. Uh, LA, San Francisco, uh, New York, Chicago, Seattle even, they tend to be leaders in more progressive uh, tenant-focused rules versus owner-focused rules. Um, I don't know who this is focused on. Um, it, you know, if I had to be honest with you, I think it's focused on the hotel industry and keeping and protecting hotels. But I don't know. I'm not really in New York. That's not my jam. There's a lot of opinions on both sides. It's just the reality is this is going to impact, I think, how much people think that short-term rentals is a safe asset class to get into. I don't think it's going to change much for the experienced veteran investors and operators. I do think that this is going to uh, thwart or slow down newbie investors with the fear that legislation could totally change their business model overnight. So if you want to read the exact laws, I'm going to have that in the, on the website, but, uh, that Washington post article, I thought did a, a pretty decent job of, of summarizing that. Now, uh, I, I said at the, the top of the show here, I want to talk about some themes and one of the themes right now related to all of this is the idea that there's going to be an Airbnb crash. For those listening, you can't see, but right now I'm pulling up a search on Twitter. If you search on Twitter for Airbnb crash, you're going to see a ton of, of commentary on this. Some doing very long threads as to why a crash is coming and others, uh, you know, just saying simply, you know, that we're going to see one. So for instance, uh, Logan from Housing Wire, if you don't know Logan, Logan's phenomenal in bringing housing data to light. 
uh, and he has a, a tweet here, you know, talking about the different, um, you know, seismic events, if you will, that have happened year by year, going all the way back to 2012. Uh, and then Michael Zerber, I believe, uh, I actually don't know for sure. Actually, I think he was once at a different prop tech startup, but I can't remember which one. Uh, but you know, he's uh, he's predicting a 2024 Airbnb crash on the housing market here, and he's not alone. Um, I have multiple uh, tweets. I think this one that I'm highlighting is the one that went viral. Uh, Nick Gorelli or Gurley uh, wrote about the pending Airbnb collapse back in June. Uh, got almost 20,000 retweets and 50 some thousand likes and 35 million impressions. Uh, it was like a seven or eight tweet, something like that thread that goes into like his uh, theory as to why uh, Airbnb is about to collapse. And it pulls some data from different places, but I have seen conflicting data. And I do believe some of the data uh, or Airbnb as well as AirDNA were asked about this data and uh, they did not confirm or back up what was being shared in this viral tweet. But the viral tweet is based on top 10 cities, Airbnb revenue, and the revenue collapsing. And why does this matter? Well, it matters because in the residential real estate market today, we have an inventory shortage. And the theory here is that uh, an influx of Airbnb properties that are unprofitable, that are operating at a loss due to bookings being below 2021 and early 2022 levels, operators are going to give up and they're just going to offload. They're going to cut their, cut their losses and, and just get out. And what we're going to see is a flood of properties hitting the market. And they're going to have to price them low to get rid of them faster than not. Otherwise, they can just continue bleeding cash. That's essentially at the base, the theory. Uh, I personally, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I do think it's going to happen in some pockets. But also some pockets of people who are going to convert to long term. The yields aren't as good. Uh, it may not be as desirable as what you wanted. Um, but, you know, look, there's always going to be a case of investors overextending. I certainly think that that is going to be the case in some areas. If you built a five-year pro forma on, on, you know, 2020, late 2020 and early 2021 travel data, uh, yeah, it might put you in some trouble here. Yeah, it's going to put you in a tough spot. But the, the belief that we're going to see a million properties flood the market or even 100,000 short-term rentals suddenly flood the market nationwide, not likely. Uh, I think we'll see some very sharp corrections uh, from city to city. So like throughout Arizona, we're seeing this already in residential. Of course, Austin has been subject to a lot of discussions of significant uh, price corrections areas in Texas, as well as Florida, seeing significant price um, corrections. And there's a little bit of stress, but it's not the distressed market that uh, I think that there's like a whole vein of people hoping and praying for a big market correct, uh, collapse. Um, thankfully, we're not finding ourselves in it. This is not the same situation as the great financial crisis. This is, this is very different. Um, some would summarize and say that we have had the housing crashes here, but it was in transaction volumes, not in prices. So it'll be interesting to see how this pans out. Uh, there's some more uh, discussion here on uh, Airbnbs. There's uh, one uh, Twitter user, uh, Matt Kobach, uh, previously at uh, quite a few different startups, uh, currently runs social media over at Slice. That's the uh, the pizza app uh, where you can, like pizza app, for the Uber app for pizzas ordering. Uh, he says it's not coming. 
And even if it does, it's not going to meaningfully impact housing prices. Sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> and I kind of agree. I just don't agree uh, seeing that this is going to be a sudden flood of inventory. But again, um, this is one of those reminders. Real estate can be a bit of a local game. Now, uh, and, and I'll, one last take on this and then uh, leave these things for you guys to, to, to bake on it. You know, because speaking of the local game, Austin's a unique market. Uh, Amy Nixon, who's a realtor down in the Austin area, uh, pointed out, and this was early, uh, mid-August here, so a little bit of a while ago, 3,329 homes for sale in Austin, yet there's 12,129 Airbnbs in Austin. And uh, she has the, the red siren signals, do you get it yet, uh, around that. And I think this is what, what this try and show is like, hey, there's, there's too many Airbnbs. And that may, may be true. There may be too many Airbnbs. But how many are really, truly, like, actually needed? I mean, even if 10% were to cut loose, would that dramatically change? And the likelihoods of all 10% of those to all cut loose at the same time, I think, are pretty, pretty low. So I think ultimately here, yeah, we're going to have corrections where... Uh, there are some properties that just were not modeled correctly. The performers were too aggressive. You can't get the returns that you're looking for. You also just don't have the demand to support it. But the idea that there's going to be a crash, I push back against. Now, who am I to say? Uh, I would love to hear from other people. If you are an owner, investor, operator in the space, uh, let me know your thoughts. Maybe we can jam out on a show specifically on this topic here. Because I do think this is a big topic the short-term rental market is really in this interesting spot. Uh, we've had uh, multiple guests uh, come on the show. I'm going to list a few here uh, that have come on the show. Uh, we've had uh, Varid Schwartz, COO at Guesty. James Strong, CTO and co-founder over at Rabu. Uh, Wes Walker, uh, founder, CEO at Propersum. Um, I should list what these companies do for those who don't know. Guesty is a you know full PMS system for uh, short-term rentals. Rabu is a data platform. Uh, I think they originally got their start more of like a hardware and software type combination. You know, smart housing. Proper Sum is a data platform. Uh, you know, then we had uh, a really interesting uh, joint episode where we had Vince Breslin. He's the CEO of Uplisting. And then we also had, same time, Emmanuel Lavoie. He's CEO of Jetstream, a hospitality company, Uplisting being a PMS as well. Uh, we had them both on the on the show at the same time. Uh, Marcus Rader from uh, Hostaway. He's the CEO over there. Um, they're one of the up-and-coming uh, platforms for managing properties. In fact, they had a mega round uh, last year, I believe, of like 100-some million they raised. Uh, they are well-poised for growth and 100-some million yeah, it was last year, but when you think about like our investors thinking there's going to be a crash or seeing the signs of a crash, I mean that's a that sounds like a positive uh, like that's a bullish indicator to me that people are thinking no, we we believe in this industry long term, and, and I'm going to get come back to that in a point in here in just a minute. Uh, Jonan Hannig, he's founder of Rove. They do a professionals uh, style like work enabled uh, short term rentals platform. Uh, and then we have John and John Andrew and Twistle, CEO of Wander. Wander probably taking the lead out in the market of like super high end, tech enabled, smart, integrated uh, vacation rental properties. Some of the most wild, like really 
incredible locations. I want to say they just opened up a place just outside of Yosemite, for instance. And then last but not least, just recently on the show, Paul Kermitis, uh, we had a chance to talk about Summer and the and the product and service that they're putting together. Really at the, the kind of converging second home ownership and vacation rental investment, kind of bring them together, bridging the gaps there, making both possible. But in all these interviews, I've I've heard an underlying theme over the last few years. And in any industry when there's major transformation, there's going to be like moments of inflection. And the pandemic really accelerated some of this. It accelerated some of it forward. And that is the professionalization of the short-term rental market. The professionalization meaning better tools for companies. It means better tools for individual owners to deliver service as if they are a company, more streamlined communications, automation. Um, overall, it means bringing the industry up a level. We've all heard the talk about fees and, and chores and that sort of thing when you check out of a vacation rental. And I've done them. Uh, I've been at places where you have to load the dishwasher, strip the bed, pile it up by the bed, by the door, a handful, take it out the trash, whatever. And... I don't really particularly mind it all that much, but it's nice to not have to do that. And that's where the industry's at. No more like my experience when I was in Atlanta, probably seven, eight years ago, I stayed at a house and I just rented the room for two days and the, and the hosts were downstairs smoking weed. And it was a, it was a horrible, it was absolutely the possible, like worst possible place I've ever stayed at by far. Uh, and that's, I think they're going by the wayside. They're not going to be able to make enough money to stay in operations. Those properties are not worth it. So yes, there's going to be a price correction. Those who are not operating efficiently, professionally, are not going to be able to maintain operations. And those who are way too aggressive are not going to maintain. But the middle of the road, those who are already professional and know what they're doing, I think we're going to continue to see positive gains and growth because that's what the market wants. There's a very different experience and desire when staying at an Airbnb or VRBO versus a hotel. And I, I'm, I'm all for the hotels. I stay at hotels. I still stay at hotels. It's okay. But when, uh, when you want the home versus hotel experience, well, then that's what you go for. Um, I'm going to jump to I got a few topics here that I wanted to touch on. I just talked about hotels, actually, and um, I was reading through a uh, was reading through a. Let's see how I can pull this up here. Well, actually, let's jump over to this one here. So, Skift Skift recently had one of their their major conferences, and uh, they put together an article: Airbnb and hotels growth ambitions could threaten peaceful coexistence. I thought this was actually a pretty good piece. I think this is an important piece. Again, this is going to be listed and linked on uh, technest.io for you to get. And it kind of counters two opinions here. Uh, Hilton CEO, Christopher Nassetta, and then uh, Airbnb's CEO, Brian Chesky. Now, there was one thing that I, I, or one quote that I saw in here that I really thought was worthy of pulling out. Brian Chesky says, Quote, I never felt that for Airbnb to win, hotels had to lose. 
the evidence of that is that Airbnb had approximately 400 million guest arrivals last year. Last year, hotels had revenue and profits significantly higher than before we started. There is overlap, that is, between hotels and Airbnb. But there is less overlap than anyone realizes. And, and I think this just nail end quote. I think this nails it on the head. Like this, this nails it. Now, of course, like you're CEO of Airbnb, you either declare all out war or let's well, we we can play nice here. There's no reason for us to go to battle. That doesn't mean to say that Airbnb isn't working towards growth and taking some of that hotel market share. There's certainly part of that. But I think it could go the bit the other way, if I'm being totally honest. I think that hotels actually could, and they're well positioned, to reimagine some of their services and amenities and actually pull back and pull some of that market share from Airbnbs. Now, I'll tell you one thing for, for sure. One reason I stay at hotels when I'm traveling on road trips, typically, is because I'm going to sleep there, mostly. It's one day and I'm in and out. The other reason is I know what the experience is likely to be checking in and checking out. With Airbnbs, I have to figure that out as I'm shopping for them. And and and, and if I, I rarely stay at the same place over and over, there is one hotel outside of Coeur d'Alene. It's the Hampton Inn Plus uh, or Best Western Plus. It's a Best Western Plus. I can't tell you other than they just have a really good breakfast buffet. That's it. That's all it is. But uh, we like that place. So we go back and my dog gets some toys there. Uh, they give him a little doggy bag. He gets like a toy and he gets a, a milk bone and, and something else. I forget what they give him. And it's not like it's the mostly cheapest and it's not the greatest of locations other than like it's super convenient off the freeway. And we, we stay there in between our road trips between South Dakota and Washington. But when it comes to Airbnbs, I don't have anything like that. I don't go vacation at the same spot. And I just want that consistent experience. So Best Western Plus and Hampton Inns typically are on my list of, okay, what's along the route that I can go to? Because I know what the experience is going to be. I think as the industry, the vacation rentals market industry improves and professionalizes, that the below standard experience really is going to fall away. And we're going to see what may feel like a standout now become middle of the road. It's going to be the like that is table stakes. That's where it's got to get to. And that's where I think some tech actually plays a very significant role. The very good communications with guests. Uh, I stayed at a place in Ohio recently. Uh, it's actually one of ours that we uh, co-invested with um, a few other friends. And uh, I really like what our, uh, what our partners put together. Uh, I, as a passive investor, I don't have an active role in how things are put together. So I was on a trip and I wanted to stay there and we had just finished building out one of our A-frames. And so I had a chance to stay in one of them and it was so cool. I knew exactly how to get in the door. So we use Hostaway as our, our platform for communications and it gave me the, the key code on how to get into the door and it was very seamless and the, the, it worked uh, perfectly and I knew how to work the air conditioner in there. I know that sounds kind of funny, but like I'm just sometimes technically not the savviest. And I knew check-in, I knew check-out. I was essentially shopping our product. I wanted to see how well things went and I could be a bit critical on that stuff. And actually I was really pleasantly surprised on how smooth everything worked. And that's the experience I expect at both a vacation rental run by mom and pop, run by a regional management company, run by a national hotel chain. 
I think it's going to take time for the vacation rentals to catch up and deliver that experience on a consistent basis. And I do think it's going to take time for the hotels to increase the experience to better match the vacation rentals. So there's going to be a little bit of jockeying back and forth. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where this goes uh, moving forward. I wanted to point out I have two other resources that I'm going to also share. These are both from the Skift uh, research team. One of them is on the uh, short-term rental marketplace. So they've mapped out 200, what do you call it? Uh, prop tech companies and and uh, startups in the space. And I thought this was uh, done pretty well. If you're looking at the shared screen here, you can see separated with B2C platforms, property management, and then B2B vendors. Uh, categories, meta search listing sites, uh, host service providers, vacation home managers, urban rental managers, property management and distribution tech, revenue management and market intelligence, marketing tech and website builders, property operations, property hardware and automation tech, procurement, ancillaries, and support services, accounting and fintech, guest communications. So there's a lot happening in there. And now some of those platforms I mentioned earlier, like HostAway, uh, Guesty, um, really taking the lead here because they actually sit in multiple categories. They can facilitate many different, um, different pieces of the whole pie. Uh, that's certainly going to help them take share. There's still room for point solutions, but I think as we enter in a, a moment of professionalization for the industry, point solutions and single uh, function tools without integration, without embedding, or without being um, some consolidation within the market are probably going to struggle to take. And that's just the very nature of the industry. So I think this is going to be interesting uh, to see how this all plays out. I'm going to be spending more time looking at some of these companies. Uh, I would love to hear from those listening or watching who I should have on the show to keep this conversation going. And the last but not least is the uh, Skift. Um, they did a uh, short-term rental 250 mapping report. So that diagram I had up on the screen, they also put together a report. And there was one thing I wanted to point out that was a, a differentiation between the hotel market and the short-term rentals market. And that was the makeup of owners. So when we look at hotels, uh, I have to assume this includes motels, but I don't know that for sure. 13.7 million are owned by independent mom and pop. That's 45.7% of the total hotel chains. And when we think about that, that's a lot of room for inconsistent experiences. It's probably like the one-offs. Like we have a few here in the Black Hills that uh, is, there's such fun names like Ponderosa Motel and Cabins and Big Sky Lodge, right? Those are just two off the top of my head that I happen to know of. And those would fall into that category. We also have Double Trees and The Days Inn and things like that. And then we have our short-term rentals. 7.3 million or 85% of the short-term rentals market is owned by the mom and pop, small independent hosts and operators. So a significant portion of the market is still in a category that's largely considered unprofessionalized. It doesn't mean they're not good, not savvy. It just means unprofessionalized. And um, the professional property manager category, 20 units and up, doesn't start until or, or professional property management category doesn't start until 20 units and up. And that plus our branded operators is only a combined 15% of the market. So when we think about where the market is going to likely move, I think what we'll see is a little bit of consolidation of the mom pops. 
I think that there's going to be more of an effort to figuring out how do we institutionalize and con- and create consistent experiences in South Dakota, uh, you know, in the Black Hills, right, in Bozeman, Montana, Seattle, Washington, and Phoenix, Arizona, to to name a few random places, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Why not? It'll be some time to figure out how that happens. It does seem that companies have struggled to maintain a personalized experience at the same time of improving operationally and being operationally excellent. It's a challenge, but um, it does seem like that's where the the market has room to move and to grow. Uh, And the better uh, operators get at professionalizing the experience, their communications, the hands-off-ness of the, the resident or the the visitor having to do chores, uh, and then even the better of services on the vendor side, which we didn't even get into the vendor side of this. I know it's been a little bit of a long monologue, and I'm going to wrap it up here, but the vendor side is going to be a big deal. The maintenance, the cleaning is so key to both sides of these businesses operating and being successful. Anyway, um, those are some of my thoughts on the vacation rental market things that are happening throughout the vacation rental market. This is totally, uh, we're at an inflection point. And of all the people I've talked to on this that are in the industry, I still say we're early innings here. So a lot to be figured out, a lot of time, a lot of room for things to develop and shape. But uh, it'll be fascinating to see where things go from here, especially as we head into the colder months and the a little bit lesser uh, busy travel season. I'd love to hear from you. Or if you uh, want to suggest someone else for the show, as always, you can reach out to me directly, Nate at RealTeamPanda.com. That's Nate at RealTeamPanda.com. Use the contact form on TechNest.io. You can submit uh, guest requests as well as if you have uh, a new suggestion. Uh, And I would encourage you to get on the PropTech newsletter. So the TechNest PropTech newsletter. Uh, We just sent out an article this morning uh and you know maybe maybe we'll touch on that a little bit here because i haven't talked about the newsletter on the podcast yet and i'm i'm pretty excited about this i'll be honest with you i have hesitated on bringing the newsletter back because my initial efforts on the newsletter i i actually really didn't like the newsletter i didn't like what i was putting out um i wasn't very satisfied with it and i thought that um, quite frankly i thought everyone deserved better if I was going to be totally honest with you. Um, But here we go. Uh, I'm going to share the screen again for those watching. For those not watching, uh, you'll just have to hear me narrate this. But uh, today's article, Solving Customer Problems, creates great content. It might be the other way around. Creating great content solves customer problems. Maybe I'll rewrite that there. Uh, The whole point of that is reducing your CAC, increasing your lead flow with good content. And I'm sharing my content strategy, the three C's content strategy, create audience, capture audience, cultivate audience. And I break this down as what it means in each stage of this strategy. This is what I would more refer to as a framework. It's not going to tell you the step-by-step tactics, but the point here is to build an awesome content strategy, effectively reducing your overall blended CAC, increasing lead flow and traffic to your site. Uh, And this will take you far. Um, I have tested this at more than one company, I have advised this at other companies, and I've validated this with other content leaders in both the fintech and prop tech space. 
what I can tell you is that those that have executed this strategy or very similar strategies have seen tremendous success in content and content programs, a super strong content program is truly an unfair advantage when it comes to uh, being able to generate more business volumes. Anyway, uh, take a look at that. Head over to technest.io. You can get on the newsletter uh, and you'll get uh, an article with podcast episodes and prop tech news on the weekly. With that, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I'm the host of TechNest, Nate Smart. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to TechNest, the prop tech podcast. Find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode on technest.io. You can get future episodes delivered to your ears directly by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast apps. Follow TechNest on social media to stay up to speed on new developments, resources, and announcements in PropTech. Your support is greatly appreciated. There's two ways you can directly support this podcast. Share episodes you find interesting and then leave a review of the show in the App Store. From Nate and the TechNest team, thanks for listening.